0: Well, a beautiful morning. Uh, Our ushers are coming down with pencils, and you'll see there's a bulletin uh, insert on the back of the bulletin, an outline for today's message. So you might want a pencil. Raise your hand, and they'll happily hand one to you. I want to say a special thank you to everyone that came out yesterday. Thank you so much for all those that came, volunteers that came to beautify the grounds and the campus. Inside and out, it's incredible. If you probably came in in a rush to get to church, but take a moment and linger around the gardens and around the uh, facility. Uh, we had folks here for a number of hours uh, weeding and planting and cleaning and power washing and washing the entire place, getting us ready for a celebration of Easter. And so I uh, just want to say a special thank you to all those that were able to make it. Your part in this for Easter celebration is to come and to invite a friend or a neighbor. And we have a, a, a fun way of doing that. We started last year. We're going to do it again this morning, of uh, being egged. Uh, it can be a little embarrassing to knock on someone's door or to leave uh, a door hanger and leave some Easter eggs on their front lawn that they might pick up some candy and a, a golden egg with a special uh, prize if they come back on, on Easter Sunday. That might be a little embarrassing. So that's why your pastors are going to embarrass themselves by playing egg roulette this morning. So if I can get an egg on my face, you can at least pick up at least one of those bags uh, per person or per family and take those and you'll hear about that from Sarah a little bit later uh uh in the service and we have some uh other surprises for you this morning a special treat of a testimony and uh and song from rob's mom we're going to meet rob's mom faith who's here with us but let's turn our attention now to uh genesis the gospel in the beginning this is our final message in the book of genesis uh we're going to cover 14 chapters so are you with me folks Revere for a while Pull up your sleeves. Here we go. Uh, If you haven't been with us, here's a a bit of review. The book of Genesis is the first book in the Bible. It comes in two parts. Uh, The first half, the first 11 chapters are are the, uh, the beginning of creation. God creates this incredible world, and he places man and woman in this perfect garden, and all is right. God's created man and woman to be in fellowship with, with himself and with one another, and there's harmony and beauty and it lasts for about one red-hot minute, doesn't it? Because we, we know the story of the fall and the destructive consequences of that, and through those first 11 chapters, we see humanity just spiraling, spiraling, because of their desire to be independent from God, their desire to to call the shots to know right and wrong on their own, apart from God, they spiral down until we get to the, the end of that section at the Tower of Babel, where, where mankind says, hey, uh, we, can, we can build a name for ourselves. Let's build a tower to heaven. Let's build a wall around our city. And God's reaction is what? Judgment. He scatters humanity, and he spreads them out. And you're wondering, well, what's going to happen now with With humankind spread out, they can't speak the same language anymore. How will this spiral stop? Chapters 12 to 50 answers that question. With all these big themes of of creation and all of humanity and these giant themes, it zooms in on one family. There's a genealogy that leads to a man named Abram we know as Abraham. That God calls us one family out of all the families of the earth. And he says to this one man and his wife, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you with children, and you will be a blessing not only to to your people, only to your little tribe, but to the nations. God makes this promise. This is uh, the big story of God. God's uh, plan to restore humanity. God's plan to rescue humanity back to his original intention. What it was like in the garden. And that's where we've we've picked up these past number of weeks as we've looked at God, God's promise and God's plan working out through this one somewhat dysfunctional, can we, can we admit Abraham and his family are kind of dysfunctional family? A, a promise to Abraham and Sarah. Promises broken, but God keeping promises, keeping a covenant. We have Abraham, we have Isaac, his son. Promises made to Isaac, Promise is broken, but God, again, renewing those promises. Then Isaac has sons, and and one of them is Jacob, who tricks his brother out of his inheritance. I mean, who does that? And yet God renews a promise to Jacob. And now here we come to the end of the story, the final chapters uh, of, of Genesis, beginning in chapter 37 to the end of 50. Jacob, he has 12 sons. And here we are, you've got a little uh, outline of what happens to this very dysfunctional family. But how God uses this one family line to see his plan of redemption unfold. So, here's a very brief overview of the story of Joseph. Ready? Jacob has 12 sons, Joseph is the 11th son, and he's the favorite son. He's pampered. Joseph is the favorite son. How do we know that? Well, because uh, Jacob and his, his wife give him what? A Technicolor dream coat, right? You know the Technicolor dream coat? And, and and not only is that is that not enough with that big of a family that he gets this special uh, coat that shows that he's somehow favored among all of his brothers who are working hard, they're doing their best. Joseph is a bit of a dreamer. He likes to kind of wander around and, and daydream, but Really, these are visions that God's given him. His brothers are already not really liking him so much, but he doesn't make matters any easier for himself. What does he do? He comes to his brothers and says, hey, guys, I had a dream that one day you would all bow down to me with mom and dad and all of you just bow down, grovel at my feet. What what do you make of that dream? Isn't that something? And what's their reaction? Oh, we got to get this guy out of here we got to get rid of this kid. So they start to plot, and the plot is, is murderous. I mean, the, some of the brothers are saying, let's kill him. Others are saying, no, I mean, he's our brother. Could we just beat him up a little bit? I mean, I'm, I'm the youngest of three brothers. I don't think my brother's ever planned anything terrible like this. Can you imagine? And so they settle on the plan, and here Joseph is the victim of this plan. They opt not to kill him but what are they going to do? They're going to throw him in a pit and just leave him there and then go home and and tell their dad, well, you know, wild animals tore your son apart. Can you imagine? This is the family that God keeps renewing this promise to, generation after generation. We're seeing who's the hero of the story of Genesis. Is it Joseph? No, it's God. Don't, don't get into the uh, misperception that we look at characters in the Old Testament as, as heroes that we should emulate because every one of them is a flawed human being. The hero is always going to be God himself through the entire Bible, all the pages of Scripture. Well, they, they don't leave him there. They make a better plan. They decide to sell their brother uh, as a slave. And uh, he's taken away as a slave, down to Egypt. Does anything good happen when you go down to Egypt? No, nothing good happens when you go down to Egypt. And so Joseph is a prisoner, and he becomes a slave of Potiphar. Uh, if you're writing those notes, it's P-O-T-I-P-H. Someone help me out. A-R, you taking notes? Nobody's taking notes. He's going so fast. up for like chapters through. This is all chapter 37, by the way. Potiphar is Pharaoh's captain. And so he needed a slave, and and Joseph's good as good as any. He's a, a handsome, young, strong guy, and, and that seems to get him in a little bit of trouble, doesn't it? Uh, he he's promoted, he he's promoted here. Uh, well, let's see here. No, no. Let me. I'm skipping ahead. Uh, he becomes a slave of Potiphar, and then what happens? Because he's this young, strapping, handsome man. What happens when Potiphar's out working? The me too movement. You know, this is a little the flip flip of that. Pover's wife sees this, uh, this young, very exotic uh, Israelite, and, and she'd like him to, uh, to be with her. So we're, we're filming there. You're welcome, parents. And uh, he rebuffs her advances again and again, so much so that he, he runs out one time while she's grabbing onto his cloak and leaves the cloak as he just flees that, that sexual temptation. And what does she do when her husband gets home? She screams, he's attacked me. That that crazy slave of yours has come after me. And so Potiphar, in his his anger, uh, sends him away as a prisoner. He's no longer a slave. He no longer has any rights of any kind, no privileges. Uh, He's thrown. He's a prisoner now of Egypt. And one terrible thing after another happens to poor Joseph. And yet there's this constant refrain throughout the whole story of Joseph. It says, the Lord was with Joseph joseph you can go through the chapters 37 to 50 and see all the instances where something terrible is happening something you'd say i would never wish this on my worst enemy yet the lord is with him and how we make sense of that do we make sense of it to say well god's just reacting to what's happening god doesn't know what's going on but he comes to the rescue or is god orchestrating ordaining overseeing does he know the beginning and the end of the story we would certainly say yes he knows how this is going to play out and so he becomes a prisoner and he's thrown into prison and then we see that that uh, these are chapters 39 to 41 by the way but joseph's reputation begins to build he has a reputation for interpreting dreams people come to him And he can figure out what their dreams are all about. He's like the original Freudian psychiatrist, I suppose, of of the ancient world. He hears a dream. He just knows what's going on. And so Joseph, in these final chapters, really becomes a provider. The dreams of Pharaoh. The dreams of Pharaoh. Pharaoh has dreams that keep him up at night. They're startling. He wakes up. His sheets are sopping wet with sweat. You could just imagine he's trying to understand what these dreams might mean. He's calling in his experts. He's calling in his, his uh, soothsayers. What do these dreams mean? No one can interpret them. They're all afraid of Pharaoh because they don't want to get it wrong. But word comes to him of this slave who's now a prisoner who can interpret dreams. And so they bring Joseph To Pharaoh. They wash him up, they clean him up. Can you imagine how disgusting he would be uh, being there in prison? He comes to Pharaoh, he hears the dreams, and he interprets the dreams. And the dreams have everything to do not just with, with the future of Pharaoh, but the future of all the people of Egypt and even the people of the entire region because it has to do with food and crops. It has to do with harvest and famine. These are uh, geopolitical issues of great consequence. And Joseph rightly interprets the dreams. And so we have the promotion of Joseph. He goes from being pampered, he becomes a prisoner, now he's becoming a provider. He's promoted to, to really the head of the whole kingdom because Pharaoh, of course, is Pharaoh. He's... He's king, he's basically a god, but who runs the day to day? It's Joseph. Joseph has promoted to this incredible level of success. And sure enough, the dreams that he interpreted by what power did he interpret these dreams? By the power of God working through him that he gives credit to. He speaks of the one true God. He interprets these dreams, and sure enough, there are bumper crops. But ahead of that, there's good, ahead of that they, they store up the crops instead of just eating it all and selling it all, because sure enough, there is a dry spell, a terrible dry spell that that impacts the entire region, so much so that his family, who've been uh, living in the promised land, are beginning to suffer. There's a famine. What happened when Abraham uh, experienced a famine? In, uh, in the promised land. Do you remember what he did? He left. He left the promised land. Where did he go? He went to Egypt. Here we go again. This is family tradition of this, I suppose. But they're desperate. Jacob is, is desperate. His name's now changed to Israel. You hear back and forth. Desperate to care for his family, his people. He wants to protect uh, his one the most beloved son that's left he's already mourned the loss of Joseph, so he says to his boys, "Get down there to Egypt, buy some food, whatever it takes we're hurting we we've got we've got to support our people the brothers go down, you know the story this is going to be the really quick version of it. They go down and they they beg for food they go down but they have money of course, but they need to They need to ingratiate themselves to Pharaoh's household. And who is it that comes to represent the kingdom? But Joseph himself. They don't recognize him, but he does. Now, we're not going to get in the weeds here, but uh, Joseph plays some mind games, doesn't he? If you you know the story, I mean, come on, just, just, can't you just have the big reveal? Brothers, I love you. He kind of messes with them, little mind games. He's like, well, I'll give you a little bit of food, but leave one of the brothers, come back, or I'll kill him. I mean, gosh, he's really, really turning the screws on them for this reunion. Well, make sure you're filling it in, the family reunion. And then finally, finally, after all the back and forth, he sends them back with food. He has his servants put their money back in their bags, he hasn't put their, his silver cup in them to accuse them We go back and forth, back and forth. But finally, he reveals who he is. He can understand what they're saying because they're speaking in his native tongue. And there's this wonderful family reunion. And then we come to chapter 50. And this is the text I'll, just, I'll read in just a moment, where uh, the patriarch of the family, Jacob, has, has died. And now the brothers, knowing human nature knowing what they did years before, knowing how they would react, they think, now that dad's gone, our very, very powerful brother, he's going to have our heads. This is going to go terribly wrong. You see, even though there was a family reunion, there hasn't been real reconciliation. Yeah, those of us who know about peacemaking— You you can apologize and say, it's fine, I forgive you, but there has to be a real reconciliation. And that comes here, and here's the text on the screen, chapter 50, verses 15 to 21. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph saying, quote, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Was this in his last will and testament? Now please forgive the sins of the servants of God, of your father. When this message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came. They threw themselves down before him, saying, We are your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Think about all that, that arrogance, that pampering that, that produced that arrogance in himself. And now he, he sees, Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done the saving of many lives. And so, it really, concludes the story that began in the garden. And we see God's plan of salvation, God's rescue plan playing out here to the end of the story of Genesis that will lead into the Exodus account. Really, this sums up all of the the story of Genesis, the gospel in the beginning, when Joseph says these prophetic words, you planned it for evil, but God planned it for good and saved many lives. Humans keep choosing evil like Joseph's brothers, like uh, Potiphar and his wife. But God, with with working through his servant Joseph, has a rescue plan that's right on time to restore people back to the garden life. What's more, Joseph is like a Christ-like figure, isn't he? Like, Like a lamb he's led into slavery and into prison and worse. And yet through that terrible ordeal, he's lifted up as a lion who saves the tribe of Judah, his brothers. Do you see the foreshadowing of where we're going on Easter Sunday? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The Lamb of God slain on the cross, yet is lifted up. He goes down to the pit. He destroys the what Satan has held on to in his plans. And he's resurrected as the lion of Judah to rescue many lives. What you meant for evil, to harm me, God has used for a greater good. This is a foreshadowing of the gospel. This is the gospel in the beginning. Application. Number one, every sermon, okay, end it this way every time. Trust God. Trust God. If we've learned nothing else from the book of Genesis of an application, it's this take God at His word. Because He's only as good as His word. And if His word is true, if it stands, if He promises, if He makes a covenant, and He says, I'm a covenant making God and a covenant keeping God, your job is to trust God. It's not the degree of your faithfulness, it's to have faith in God. God is the one who's faithful. Have all these people broken promises, haven't we seen, from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and all the rest? None of them were faithful to the end. They all had ups and downs like we all do. God is the one who's faithful, but we are to trust God. We, our responsibility is to put our faith in God, so trust God. Number two, see your life as part of a larger story. God is working out an unfolding reality that we cannot see in the midst of bleak, confusing times. And Faith is going to share her her testimony to that end, to understand that God is sovereign. God is at work. God is a healing God. God is a promise-keeping God. To see yourself in the midst of a larger story, when we're all looking down here, we look at the facts on the ground, we have to take all the facts into consideration. And the fact is, God loves you, and He certainly does have a plan for your life. You say, Oh, Pastor Pete, we've been hearing that since Sunday school, but it's true. It's true. So, number three, hold fast to the promises of God. Hold fast in the struggle. Hold fast in the midst of family rejection. Hold fast in the midst of loss from uh, a great height to a great depth. Hold fast when there's lies spoken against you. Hold fast when it seems like all the operating machinery of our culture and world and at work, it's all working against you. Hold fast. Listen to these words from Romans eight twenty-eight. We know, the Apostle Paul says, that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God's not Showing up late to the party. Oh my goodness, what's, what to do? Oh, I, better, I had no idea they were going to make this move. What should I do? God knows all the moves. He's sanctioned them. He's ordained them. He allows them for this greater purpose. And so hold fast to the promises of God. And finally, forgive those who sin against you. Forgive those who sin against you. That's a... A final word, I see some heads nodding. You know, we're going to come together on Good Friday, and I really hope that you come. We have nine pastors from our area representing uh, uh, eight churches in our uh, valley that are going to be here for Good Friday service, where we will commemorate that fateful day that we call good because the great suffering that Christ did, it was good for us that He did this. The forgiveness of our sins. And so, brothers and sisters, I just pray, even right now, you're thinking of someone that you have a grudge against, or a grievance. Even now, you have someone that has harmed you and has hurt you. You have every right to just write them off, like Joseph to his brothers. Before we get to Good Friday, before we come to the communion table of that service, I pray with you, I plead with you, forgive Forgive, be a peacemaker, work that out. It's not going to do you any good to hold that grudge. Maybe it's, someone, maybe it's someone who's already passed on. You still need to work that out, and I pray that you would do so. That's Joseph in about 12 minutes. What do you think? Let's pray. We're going to pray for the offering, and uh, we're going to hear uh, Faith's story. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this series, Lord God, in which we've seen the very beginning of your rescue plan playing out. And what an amazing encouragement, Lord, for us to to realize that uh, when we think that we're unworthy to serve uh, in ministry, we think that we're unworthy to to say to to a friend or a loved one, can I pray with you? Can we figure this out, Lord? In all the ways that we um, feel unworthy, we're reminded here, Lord, of all these men and women that you were through who were truly unworthy and unsavory and dysfunctional, and yet your grace was evident again and again, that you use people where they're at to take that next step of faith. So God, I pray that we would trust you, that we would see our lives as part of your bigger story, that we would hold fast to your promises, that you are at work, and Lord, that we would forgive uh, any grievance we have, any debt we have, against our debtors as you have forgiven us now god we pray for the offering we pray lord that you would multiply its impact we thank you lord for the faithful investment of your of our covenant partners our brothers and sisters here at the church And we pray lord for uh, the plans you have for us that are already coming into focus a vision for the future uh, of ministry here in our church god you've blessed us with so much you've given us such great responsibilities and privileges uh, as people in this in this valley, we pray, Lord, that you would uh, then lead us into a bright future to invest for kingdom purposes, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. The ushers are going to come and take the morning offering. And now uh, I'd like to invite uh, Rob Wood to make a very special introduction.
1: Hello. Oh, there we go. Well, my brother was here, and now my mom is here, and one by one, I'm getting to introduce everyone to the great Pacific Northwest, and uh, so I do want to introduce you to my mom, but before I do, uh, she's going to share a little bit today about her testimony, and uh, I think she was born saved, uh, so it's not a testimony like that. She was one of those. She's a pastor's kid, like I was a pastor's kid, and pastor's kids need a lot of prayer, right? (laughs) Amen. But... uh, um, she had a, a stroke about two years ago, and when I walked into the hospital, she, she laid in, her, in the bedroom for, uh, for hours and hours and hours with no one coming for her. And When, the, when we found her, uh, she was wrapped up like a little pretzel and laid on a hospital bed, and she couldn't tolerate any type of light and didn't know my name or her name. And now, uh, through steady healing from the Lord and uh, through some more stuff she's going to share with you, I just think it would be a great encouragement uh, for everyone to hear a little bit about my mom. So, everyone, please welcome Faith Hankins. Ain't she cute? Got your Texas boots going there.
2: (laughs) Hi, (laughs) y'all. it's good to see y'all uh this is the first time to show you my testimony right so i have notes Uh, of course this is my son He's right here and of course i like him anyway (laughs) i birthed him (laughs) i have four children and they're all out now they're running around so i hope they're doing good but anyway these are my notes it was a typical day of teaching piano and voice ah (laughs) i did that in piano so out of nowhere a bad migraine-like headache struck hi my name is faith hankins and i had a i have a testimony right after scooting my student and her dad out the door i laid down head pounding Seventeen hours passed. I had had a stroke. I did not realize it, and no one did either. Either. (laughs) Many came knocking on my door to check on me. I could not answer. Finally, my daughter, Audrea, and her friend Sue arrived. Audrea had Sue pray healing scriptures on the way to the hospital thirsty hungry and afraid i found myself in an hospital gown going through a loud mri machine unable to understand questions unable to talk but able but able to believe i would be okay in jesus name <laughs> In Psalm 139, the verses says, For you create my inmost being. You neat neat me together. I think that was wrong. You neat (laughs) made me together on my mother's womb. I praise you because I am free, fearfully, and wonderfully made. Your works are Wonderful. I know that full well. Many tests were done, but the bottom line was I was going to have to talk all over again. What? Screamed every part of my body, right? I don't know if you have a stroke, you know everything, but you can't talk. That's not good for a woman here, right? (laughs) It was so much work. And it is right now. (laughs) Through this journey, God proved himself faithful financially and in healing. Today, I can share my testimony. I can chat with my family and my friends. And I can say, Who is like God? He is my faithful shepherd, and He is yours. Jesus said, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, Are you tired, worn out, burn out in religion? Come to me. Get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace I want to lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you keep company with me and you'll learn to live fri- way, freely and lightly so praise God God can do anything <laughs> oh i'm gonna have a song uh before i had a stroke i had a a lot of songs but then i had to find uh, the songs i had to find all these songs again you know what i'm saying okay thank you
1: (laughs) my mom released an album after um she had the stroke it is available online i believe it's free Yeah with a donation or yeah you can make a donation if you want <laughs> you can you can And this is called uh oh what a name?
2: Yes, the name of Jesus. Okay. <laughs>
3: there to speak the name of Jesus. In love he stands, he's always there just praying, this Jesus. Forever God and still man, he's calling out, calling out for you every time that you pray he heals every word you say jesus oh what a name oh what a name he heals all our pain. every chain Jesus Jesus God loves He cares He's, He's always, always there He just speaks the name Jesus Every time that you pray